This show promotes peace and love, which ironically makes a lot of people very angry. Welcome to the Urbanism Speakeasy, the podcast focused on human-scale design, planning, design, and engineering issues that impact all of us, discussed in plain English. No degrees or silver spoon pedigree required. Now, here's your host, Andy Baino. Well, Kevin Posey is an advocate for sustainable transportation. He is, uh, I'm sure there aren't that many around the country that can claim this, but a cycling realtor, um, and he writes at the blog Traffic Snark, uh, a blog that I highly recommend, and I'm going to keep pinging on Kevin to keep blogging there. Um, <laughs> Kevin's in Alexandria, Virginia, outside of Washington, D.C., where there's no shortage of news about transportation. Um, I, which is why I'm sure the blog was born in the first place, because there's always something to talk about, either positively or snarkily, uh, or, or a mixture of the two. But I think if you, if you check out his blog, and I'll link to that in the show notes, you'll, you'll appreciate what Kevin's trying to do with, um, with sustainable transportation, well, transportation in period, however you, uh, however you label it, but good common sense transportation. Kevin, you wrote recently um, about politicians doing the right thing, and as a general rule of thumb, politicians never do the right thing, right? Isn't that that's part of politics? <laughs> oh well, they 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 kind of have to be forced to do it sometimes, yeah. <laughs> but you you put a thoughtful post together about that. Give us a description about what you're what are you thinking there with in terms of transportation, um, moving people around, people having access to goods and services, you know those kinds of classic things for people that care about mobility. What is it that's going on around you that made you want to write about politicians doing the right thing in the world of transportation? Well, that particular blog post, I, I realized that uh, there was a certain commonality between access for the disabled and access for those um, who are, well, trying to get around any other way than inside a one-ton metal box. Um, it takes a little bit of, uh, of effort to adapt to service those folks, to give them the access that they need. In the case of, um, of those with mobility impairment, uh, I was pointing out the fact that local politicians were using an office that had no disability access whatsoever. And this had been pointed out to them a couple of years ago, and they still hadn't done anything about it. And it's a lot like uh, pedestrian and cyclist access. You know, they've known about these problems for many, many years, um, and they just haven't really done anything about it. It's, you know, it, it, you, when you're a politician, you tend to look at things in terms of what's going to give me votes, what's going to take away votes. Uh, I should mention I'm a political scientist by training. Uh, and... In the case of both of these, both the access for the disabled and access for those on bikes and walking and so forth, um, they're not perceiving that there's enough gain in doing something about these situations. Uh, they perceive that all the gain is going to be coming from the big ticket items like uh, a new, sub a new uh, subway stop like in Potomac Yard or 
Uh, in other parts of the country, a big road widening. That's when you get the big ribbon cuttings and all the politicians stand out there on the concrete and look very proud. It's harder to do that on a bike lane or a curb cut or a, or changing steps on or putting in a, a ramp for those with in a wheelchair in front of a campaign office. I'll, I'll describe in words as best I can in a, a picture that you took because um, I think anybody has seen this in their hometown, wherever they live. Walking along a sidewalk, there's a building on your left-hand side. There's the entranceway into that building, and it's down several steps. And so most of us don't think twice about that. We walk down the steps. Unless maybe we recently rolled an ankle or messed up our knee, in which case we hope that there's a railing. So they install a new railing. And so, okay, we can lean a little bit on the railing, but there's still steps. And so you describe um, a situation where somebody is in a wheelchair and gets carried down like cargo, which yep. no person is going to want to be carried around like that, um, yeah. especially out in public. Uh, it's the kind of thing that you figure would happen maybe if you're on your deathbed, if you're in hospice, sure, you're going to get carried around. But when you're going to visit your local government office, you're probably not expecting that. So I guess yeah. what you're describing is you've got, the in terms of priorities for politicians, that person who's in a wheelchair may be able to operate a motor vehicle, just like you or I, who right now are able-bodied. So we're fine, allegedly, while we're in the travel lane. So we get from point A to point B, let's say, by vehicle, we're okay. And so in the politician's mind, maybe they're saying, oh, we accommodated you. As soon as we park that vehicle, or if someone's driving us, we're parked, and we get out, now what do we do? We're human beings that are suddenly stuck trying to access the actual thing. Really, what I'm what I'm thinking in terms of is I'm th these are politicians, all of whom uh, on council have said that they are progressive, that they are looking out for vulnerable communities. Well, somebody with mobility impairment has a vulnerability. Somebody who's on a bike has a vulnerability, as we have seen many, many times. Someone who's just trying to cross the street on foot, they are vulnerable. And yet politicians, for whatever, well, for the reasons I, I mentioned earlier, aren't that interested in looking out for them. They, they talk the talk of, of being progressive and looking out for the vulnerable, but they're very reluctant to walk the walk. You talked about with, with big ticket highway items and big ticket transit projects. Creative thinking to me reflects intellectual vigor. What are you, what are you getting at there with uh, connecting creative thinking with big ticket transportation items? I, 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 like to, I like to think of myself as being fairly creative. I actually am a published artist, although I don't do so much of that these days. I, I tend to think of the, the transportation grid as the, as the canvas these days. I noticed that a lot of transportation professionals, older generation I should say, tend to want to go to the same old solutions for every single problem. Um, we saw it in California when they uh, they widened uh, the, I believe it was the 101 freeway. Mm -hmm. um, we saw it, uh, well, we, we continue to see it here in Northern Virginia. Uh, they want to widen I-66. Is they, they just keep going to the same grab bag, grab bag of tricks to resolve these problems, never once stopping to realize that didn't work before, why would it work now? And uh, 
and that's that's where I'm getting at. They need to kind of get out of the box a little bit. They need to perceive the world around them and notice what hasn't worked, and maybe look to other places. Um, you, you may have noticed I post a lot about the Netherlands, um, particularly Groningen, because or Groningen, if you get the pronunciation mm -hmm. right. Um, and the reason I post about them is because they are so far ahead of us in transportation planning. Um, I lived there, uh, gosh, that was close to a quarter century ago. And the level they were at then is ahead of where we are today. And that's, that's just shocking. That shows how moribund our transportation planning establishment it really is. They have solved a lot of the problems that we're just now perceiving. And they're moving on. I mean, you know, glow-in-the-dark highways, uh, all kinds of really wild stuff. And meanwhile, we're still arguing about whether or not we should put in a bike lane. It's, it's kind of sad. When you're describing a minute ago about how whether it's politicians or professional engineers, you know, experts in transportation, uh, people that come up with solutions, how they'll um, they'll go back to the same grab bag and use the same solutions. I was talking with somebody recently about that exact same thing and how what we find in the in the transportation world is some city or some state, Department of Public Works or Department of Transportation, they'll do some project and it might be a $50 million project or a $100 million project and it gets some award of some type. It might be an economic development award because, hey, we have a new interchange. That, that's economic development, and we get an award now. And so they get these awards from different organizations, and then six months, nine months, 12 months later, another state or city says, hey, we've got this project. We don't, we're not sure what solution we should pick. And then they go, oh, our neighbor just got an award. Let's copy there. So even when they think we're being innovative because we're doing something new, this is a new idea that our neighbor just came up with. It, it's a new-ish idea that was award-winning, but it's still that mindset of massive infrastructure. It's still yes. not, like you're describing, widening, widening interstates and that sort of thing, which we see time and again doesn't solve those basic problems that they're trying to solve in the first place of, of reducing mm -hmm. congestion. So when you're talking about looking looking to other places, I mean, you gave a great example. How should, that's one specific example that I, I'm with you. I wish, I wish in the States we would look to very specific places like that and say, let's go all in and, and follow those, those examples. But how, do you have any, any recommendations for how somebody listening is in working for a State Department of Transportation or a local government, how should they choose those places to model? Because we know that some some places around the states, I mean, people like you and I who have our biases for being able to walk and ride a bicycle comfortably, we have ideas about how to choose who to model after. How would you characterize what places should be modeled? You know, I, I have a lot of experience in sales, and I always tend to look at things from a sales perspective. And I, I, I know quite a few people who are, considerably younger than myself, uh, who are in the transportation profession and they're, you know, they're dealing with a bureaucracy um, that harkens back to a different age um, that, you know, looks to the car for all the answers. Uh, and, you know, they, they're the ones who have the, hire, the, the power to hire and fire. Uh, so you have to be careful. The, the trick to my mind is to convince them not so much 
well, for example, the Netherlands or Japan or whatever, they're doing this, we should do this. It's more selling them on the efficiencies, you know, the cost benefit, convincing the, the older bureaucrats that it's their idea, <laughs> not so much that it's an idea from somewhere else. And that's very tricky, but that's kind of what you have to do until we reach the tipping point where folks, well, your generation and, and so forth, start to assume the reins of power, if you will. Um, you know, and there's also the, the, there's a sales job that has to take place between the transportation professional and the politician. Because remember, the politicians, by and large, they don't know anything about transportation. They, they have to know a little bit about a lot of different issues. They can't, they don't have the time to delve very deeply. Into into one issue, and if they've been brought up to realize to to think that uh, widening the road is going to ease congestion, that's the solution they're going to go to. And you have to sell them, say, well, you know, if we put in this bike lane here, it's going to make things easier. Uh, it's going to lessen congestion. You have to build your case, but you have to also be prepared to touch on. Um, on emotional aspects, and, and this, I, I'm getting a little bit away from your question, but it's, it's more than just modeling. It's also trying to, trying to get beyond the, the rationalities and get into the emotionalism, because that's, that's politics. I mean, you, if you run for office, you don't, you don't get elected delivering dry academic speeches. You get elected by firing off an emotional one-liner, you mm -hmm. know, um, and I, I've been accused fairly of doing a lot of that, but that's, you know, I know that's what's going to uh, win the day, ultimately, um, and it's tough for a transportation planner professional to, to, to do that, Real, and it, really, until you're out from under that bureaucracy, it's probably almost impossible, but if you can just kind of work things into your presentation, not just, you know, you don't go to your superior, you don't go to your politic, you don't go to your elected official and deliver a dry academic speech. You need to say, well, you know, in this particular case, if we don't put in this bike lane, somebody's going to get hit by a car. You know, that sort of thing. Somebody is going to get hit by a car and there are going to be a lot of questions asked. Um, this crossing here is unsafe for pedestrians. If we don't do something, you know, I, and, and use an anecdote, I saw someone almost get hit. Um, I actually have been pushing the city locally for a long time to put in a uh, ramp for those in wheelchairs at an, a key intersection next to a, well, it's a metro station and an Amtrak station. And there's no way to cross this busy street without having this ramp. And I've pointed out, I haven't pointed out how many people have tried to cross at that intersection in wheelchairs. I've just said, I've seen two people trying to cross there and they couldn't get across. You know, just really trying to, to, to trigger that emotional response in the politician because they understand that. You know, they have to, otherwise they wouldn't get elected. Yeah, that's a good idea. Look at what it is that other places are doing that uh, makes great transportation sense and then boil that down into a compelling story and figure out uh, what's your medium. Is it writing? Is it make a short video about it? And Perfect, yes. 
that's that's essentially it. Politicians with with elected officials, you have to boil things down. So instead of a a five minute lecture, you have maybe three or four sentences because frankly, that's probably all you're going to have time for. You, you if you're talking to them socially, yeah, you know, you're not going to get to deliver this long lecture. If you're writing a letter to the editor, which I have mixed feelings about myself because letters to the editor, that's kind of where we keep the crazy people. Um, but if you're doing that, don't write a dissertation. Write something that's just very to the point. You know, and, you know just, just make your point and go as, as strongly as you possibly can. If, if I can make one more point, I heartily recommend social media, particularly Twitter, because it forces you to be brief. It forces you to get to the point. It forces you to make the emotional connection. Um, and if it weren't for Twitter, we probably wouldn't be talking now because yeah. it was thanks to Twitter, I, I was involved in a, a transportation issue locally and uh, an opponent or opponents picked up on some of my comments and used that as a springboard to attack me in the national media. I was denounced by name in the Wall Street Journal and in the American Spectator. My dad would have been so proud if he were alive. Uh, <laughs> but as a result, it elevated the conversation to a level where it got a lot of attention and we got the bike lane in. And frankly, if we hadn't got that level of attention, if we hadn't boxed the politicians in, I'm not sure we'd have that bike lane today. What's the best way for people to reach you if they want to pick your brain some more? Twitter. I'm, I'm all on Twitter. <laughs> at Kevin H. Posey. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Please visit urbanismspeakeasy.com to sign up for news and podcast updates delivered right into your inbox, totally free. <laughs>